Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. Substance-induced psychosis, the agitated geriatric patient, manic episodes, paramedics, nurses, mid-level providers, and physicians in the ED all regularly have to manage patients with psychiatric conditions, often with limited training and resources. In this series, psychiatric experts keep it real, raw, and relevant about what you need to know to successfully care for these patients in an emergency setting. Welcome to Emergency Medical Minutes Mental Health Monthly. This is the chair of the organization, Travis Barlock. I am an emergency physician at Swedish Medical Center, and I have with me here today Dr. Andrew White. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Travis. So I'm uh, I'm joining you, you know, after kind of did all of our training apart knew you before you were a doctor, and, and now I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about my journey, which has been on the mental health side of things, uh, something that as we've gotten back in touch, I, I realize is a big part of the day-to-day life of someone in the emergency room. So. For sure, for sure. So, Andrew, can you uh, give us a little bit of just a little bit of background on kind of your path, and then we can maybe get into our topic of discussion today, which will be just the approach to psychosis. So tell us about your background. Yeah, so um, got into the mental health field by way of you know, medical school and, and did my training at the University of Colorado uh, for general psychiatry and actually just finished up a, an addiction psychiatry fellowship at, at the University of Colorado. So um, since finishing that, I've, I've been working over at Denver Health, which is the, the main general hospital for the city and county of Denver. And I do a mixture of outpatient psychiatry, includes young adults, some addiction work, as well as what we call integrated care, which is a a way to spread out some of the mental health knowledge to primary care physicians and folks who are are seeing many patients. I see. And I think at Denver Health, they even have an emergency psychiatric kind of like wing of their ER. Do you ever get, get any exposure to that? Yes, we call it the PEZ, or the Psychiatric Emergency Services. And so it's a, a dedicated unit in the emergency room, which actually has sheltered me from some of the stuff that we'll talk about today, because uh, at least at Denver Health, when I work in the PEZ, folks are medically cleared, and then they come back for a psychiatric evaluation. Um, but there we have yeah, about 10 rooms, locked doors, lots of security for acute situations. Okay. I think that's actually a really good segue into this because from the emergency department's perspective, a patient will come in and they they come in with this syndrome of psychosis. And right from the get-go, there's a a broad differential that uh, accompanies that, especially if it's, you know, the first time. And it's our role to, you know, evaluate that patient and come up with the right kind of trajectory for them. And part of that is just the initial differentiation of, is this a medical etiology of their presentation or is it primary psych? And so just going off of that, in my mind, the first role in all of that is really just the recognition of the syndrome in general. So maybe you could speak a little bit to that on just like, how do you make the initial diagnosis of psychosis in general? Yeah. I love the way you look at it, right? The the crux to it is recognition. Um, because psychosis, I put it this way, you know, sometimes we think a lot in medicine, like, oh, once I've seen a case of depression, 
I've seen all cases of depression. They're, they're themes that, that are pretty conserved. Um, when I talk to folks about psychosis or you know, schizophrenia, some of our primary psychotic disorders, I kind of say, oh, yeah, once you've seen a case, you've seen a case of schizophrenia. You, you, you know it, and you also, by the virtue of you know, this, this psychotic phenomenon transcending what we know about reality and the way we think about it, even using words to get in there with someone or talking to them about their psychosis can have diminishing returns. I think the recognition part, as you throw it out there, almost starts with just being mindful of how we are approaching an individual who's probably in a lot of stress. If you're seeing psychosis or something that could be psychotic, this person is stressed out, right? It's sort of like the smoke to the fire that's going on deep within. And usually with most people, if you take a brief introduction process, you know, I don't know what, what y'all talk about it, your per particular culture and workplace, we call it like aid it at, at Denver Health, where you like announce who you are, you identify and talk about, you know, just sort of general orientation things. In that moment, if someone's not registering with you, they're not maintaining eye contact, they're not giving you attention, their mind might be elsewhere. And and so I would just listen to your gut in those first interactions with people. If you feel like something's off, you feel like they're stressed out, going down any specific differential diagnosis or trying to get pertinent positives out of the interaction could be a waste of your time. And I say that because as we start about this topic, right, like one of the biggest things about psychosis is it's also a big safety concern. So, like, y'all in the emergency room, um, I'm preaching to the choir, right? But, like, one of the things that I took from my time in the emergency room was about, like, half of you working there suffer, like, physical altercations and getting yelled at, like, dealing with people in distress. And so, in those moments, I would, you know, if you see someone that you think psychotic, de-escalate. You have to bring the calm into the situation. Sure. Sure. Know where your exit is. Easier right? said than done. Yeah, like know where you know where your escape plan is. But I think sometimes, not even just as medical professionals, but as people, when we're faced with someone who is really stressed out or psychotic and and out of sorts, right? Like all, all the ways we describe psychosis, it can lead us to be very anxious, and that anxiety is extremely perceptible by someone who's who's struggling. But yeah, I, I think. You're hitting at a, a very important point around this, which is that psychosis can be something different for everyone. It can be something that we're expecting because this person is chronically schizophrenic and they're here every Saturday night. But maybe we could talk a little bit about how we approach it. I know you medically approach things in a very thorough manner. And then I could throw in some of the, the psychiatric things that I think about. Totally. And so for me, when I, you know, am going to just go down this bucket of the patient has psychosis, the two things that come to my mind right from the get-go are going to be them describing some form of hallucinations. And then the other would be delusions. So are you seeing or hearing things that aren't there? I know that there are olfactory and tactile hallucinations as well, but just, you know, thinking about broad strokes, hallucinations right from the get-go is kind of putting us into that into that camp. And then 
also, you know, delusions, whether they feel like they're being persecuted, that people are out to get them, that, you know, the FBI is bugging their house. You know, one of the questions I uh, know a colleague of mine likes to ask, and I think it's a good one, is are you working on any projects? About one out of every 10 of them might come back with a really interesting answer to you. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. you know, most of them are like, no, no, no. But then you ask that one and the patient responds with, yes, <laughs> let me tell you, I have been covering the walls with tinfoil for the last you know, several weeks and it is almost done. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, amazing what you find when you ask the right questions. I think one of the other uh, things to recognize are also negative symptoms and disorganized thinking. I think those are a little more subtle. When I say those words, what could you just kind of tell us briefly what you think of with disorganized thinking and, and negative symptoms? So like a listener could be like, oh, I, how do they recognize that? Definitely. With each of those things, you're kind of looking at a, a different approach. The the negative symptoms that you're kind of talking about traditionally are thought within the context of, of what happens to someone who's got schizophrenia, right? And so uh, I think if we talk about negative, the positive symptoms are all important to, to distinguish. And, and you mentioned that, right? Like when I think of positive stuff, it's these extra symptoms. So extra voices that aren't there, extra things that I'm seeing, or these delusional thought contents, which all describe things that we see on top of what could be considered a, a typical cognitive experience. The reason I put it that way is because it helps us understand when you think about the negative symptoms in that light, those are basically things that are taken away. And so when I think of negative symptoms, you know, I, I look back, it, it's in psychiatry, it's kind of like pick which old white man you want to like follow and listen to. But Bloiler is, is one that I, I think gave a, a really insightful look at, at folks who are end-stage schizophrenics. And, and he looked at uh, a handful of things that he labeled his A's, which are like alogia, so like not talking, not really being very forthcoming of what's going on. And, and some people would loop that into a, a special type of psychosis, what we call just like thought blocking which is where it's not so much that I'm thinking all these things and I'm not talking to you. It's this folks' internal experiences that their brain is not thinking. Mm. And a mental status exam or in an interview with someone that would really be picked up on in the way that they're answering your questions. So if you said like, hey, how are you doing today? And I sat here for three seconds, uh -huh. maybe four, and said, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, it, it maybe is something you'd pick up on if you're having a rush day and you're just like, okay, you're okay, good, not a big deal. It, it might be something you, you don't necessarily see, but that's the gist of some of those negative symptoms. Other things that come up are, are sort of like an autistic feel, a lack of emotional connection, a lack of relationships. And, you know, frankly, a lot of folks who end up in end-stage psychotic disease are, are very isolated. Flat affect, that's the thing. That's a, that's the A. That's the, it's another A. And then ambivalence is the other one. So okay. these folks are just really torn. Thought disorder-wise, you know, honestly, I think the biggest thing there is if you're concerned about the way someone is describing something to you, mm -hmm. they, they could have a, a thought disorder. If, for example, you know, I don't know what your grandma's like, but, you know, on, on one end of the normalish side of the spectrum, circumstantiality is kind of what we would see in, in probably the majority of people that we work with, right? Just kind of like a, uh, you ask a question and the story goes around the, the point, but eventually gets back there. 
you know, you, you wouldn't say this person has like a thought disorder. It might annoy you in, in getting information, but folks with thought disorders would probably more than annoy you. You might ask a question and instead of ever getting back to the point, it becomes like if you said, oh, tell me about some project. And I say, oh, well, I've got this project. I was putting up tinfoil and tinfoil came from Walmart. And when I was at Walmart, I went there and I got some orange juice and oh, orange juice is from Florida. And you're, you're just like, oh my gosh, I see yeah. connections. Right. You're trying. Mm-hmm. But I'll put it this way, right? When we're talking about working with folks with psychosis, one of the most important roles we have is to represent reality. Mm-hmm. Say, okay. That's interesting. Do you think it's smart when you have a patient who comes in mm-hmm. who is psychotic? You know, let's say they are hallucinating or they are, you know, presenting these uh, obvious, you know, delusional thoughts. Do you ever think it's smart to feed into it and to accept it, to go along with it? Or do you think that it's really important to always bring it back to like, no, you need to know that these are not real, that this is real. I mean, I wonder if there's like any value to going with it, to gaining their trust and building that relationship versus bringing back to the value of reality. Yeah, I think I definitely get curious about what it means, right? And in the realms, the things that we've talked about so far, some of these pathognomonic things like hallucinations and delusions and, and those aspects, they, they have distinguishing characteristics, but what makes them really interesting to me as a provider is like in the person, in, in their mind, there are these what we call kind of pathoplastic features, which are... You know, not just saying they have a delusion, but like you said, this like really interesting delusion about their landlord poisoning them, you know, whatever it, it may be. And I am fascinated by that. And I dive into it with folks and I make space for the psychosis and it fills all the voids, like a, a gas in empty space. Mm-hmm. And I realize that like you're almost staring into an abyss. But again, that is core nature. Like it doesn't make sense. Hmm. And like you can you can sit there and be like, no, like tell me how it makes sense to you. And and I think for some folks, especially early on in my career when I had more time to do that, there's like something intriguing there. But what I've seen work, the topic of like, can you do therapy with folks with psychosis as that comes up? What I've read in the research there is that you can, and it's not so much about the actual psychotic content, but the relationship that you provide with individuals, the space and the comfort that you give them, understanding that, again, that psychosis is the tip of an iceberg with many, many steps before you get there. I see. So that that, that does jive with my general practice, which is that you kind of just need to read the situation and see what is going to be the most beneficial in terms of the relationship with the patient. Yeah. You, know, you just want to have them on your side and know that they can mm-hmm. count on you. And I feel like that's you know going to depend on the scenario itself in terms of should you feed into it or not. But I think the way you say it of just giving it space is good. Yeah. And, and realizing if it's a priority for, for them, it should be a priority for you as a provider. But if it's not a priority for them, you'll probably rupture some of that rapport. You know, if I'm treating someone who has delusions, I'm going to check in on those delusions. Mm-hmm. On those delusions. But yeah. as you said, if, if you hit the right nerve with someone who is delusional, you can see psychosis is something that unravels differently for everyone. I think 
one of the reasons we want to talk today about this is like when it becomes an emergent situation, anyone can get emergent. Yeah, totally. You, know, you put anyone under enough pressure. Yeah, that's a whole other thing we can talk about too. Is just when you start to get some of the other aspects of psychosis, which I think would be the kind of the agitation, aggression and management of that. I think we've spoken about that in prior episodes and people can can look back to that if uh, if need be and we can speak to it a little bit here. But I think it would be good just to talk about some of the initial differentials that present themselves when a patient does present psychotic. I guess on our side in the ER, what are the things we need to think about? What is the workup that can be done? And so in my mind, the patient comes in, you've made the recognition that they are presenting with psychosis. And so for me, when we need to think about other things instead of primary psych, which is going to be our job, like you said, you know, at the at the PEZ, they've been medically cleared. So it's like, how do you do that medical clearance? I think you have to, again, recognize that there are other possibilities rather than just primary psych. And for me, the biggest one is drugs, whether it's illicit or prescribed. I feel like drugs, drugs, drugs are going to be the most common other etiology of their psychosis. And so illicit drugs, namely our stimulants, so methamphetamine, PCP, cocaine, and whatever is cutting the drug that they think that they're getting, you know, are going to be the big ones. Also, we've got all these different synthetic cannabinoids and whatever uh, else is, again, like I said, cutting the, cutting the supply. I feel like those are always front of my mind as what's going on here today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's tough, right? Because so many of our ability to tell anything in this situation, this hypothetical patient coming through is immediately impaired because getting vitals, getting labs, providing any samples mm -hmm. in a state of psychosis is a coin toss. It, it might not happen. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And oh. also just, you know, your history is also obviously Un <laughs> unreliable too. narrator. Yeah. Right? So everything you're taking, you take with a grain of salt. And then also what confounds the picture is that there's a high degree of comorbid substance use in patients who have intrinsic psychiatric disease. The rate of substance use disorders in patients that have primary schizophrenia and bipolar with psychotic features or major depression with psychotic features, you know, it's obviously higher than the, than the general population too. And so I think it's important to recognize that as well. I would like to give us a quick little rundown for our listeners of some of the medications to always think about when having a patient that presents with psychosis. The ones to always keep in mind are going to be steroids. So prednisone, dexamethasone, prednisolone, those are all going to be ones that can certainly cause a, uh, a psychotic syndrome. Anticholinergics, dextromethorphan, also our patients that have HIV or on antivirals that can do it. And then there are some antimicrobials, mainly the chloroquines that can do it. So those are some of the I guess, medication is always consider and thinking about the patient themselves, you know, being at the extremes of age as being um, at higher risk of, of having them as a uh, potential side effects. So putting drugs aside. Can I add just one little plug for drugs? Yeah. So the other thing I would throw out there too about some of the ways to, to maybe see is this more medical? Is this more mental health? Um, is, is to also throw in the, the withdrawal aspect around the drug stuff oh, too. Understanding that, and I'll just, I'll put it this way. One 
little pet peeve of mine in soapbox that I have is around benzodiazepine mm-hmm. prescriptions and, and, and the way those have sort of gone under the radar. But I have seen folks who have been, you know, by virtue of their circumstances, you know, provider retires, whatever, you know, they end a, a prescription of benzos that they've had long term. They go through withdrawal and, you know, we always worry about like withdrawal seizures and, and all those things. But um, I've, I've seen folks get both manicky and psychoticky um, withdrawals from benzos. I mean talk about alcohol withdrawal and psychosis that were blue in the face. It's like a whole, maybe a whole subject. Yeah, absolutely. That's another really great point. It's not, it's not just the meds themselves, but also the absence of them. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So uh, always important to, to re- recognize that as well. Other than those medications or illicit drugs, I would think about thyroid disease. I would think about lupus, specifically lupus cerebritis, and then masses, perineoplastic processes, and then infections, so meningoencephalitis or encephalitis as other things on the differential. And so then to tease this out, how do you go down one of these paths? And so obviously the the history is going to be huge there. And so some of the things that I know of to try to help differentiate, is this a medical versus a primary psychiatric psychosis are a couple of things. So I think you could speak a little bit more to this in, in your experience and just based on what we know about epidemiology, psychosis in intrinsic psychiatric disease most commonly presents in is it early adolescence-ish, certainly yeah. under 40 is usual for like the presentation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then the corollary that would be if they're presenting over age 40 for the first time, that's a concern that it's probably a medical etiology rather than primary psych. Yes. The only thing that I would throw out there, though, is maybe some some general exceptions. So there is a lot of data across the globe that particularly in, in the period of menopause, the hormone changes that occur there can lead to an increase in psychosis for women. Okay. So if you're hitting in the you know 50s, late 40s or, or someone's going through menopause, I would be concerned about that. And as well in the postpartum period too, I think those were all population, special populations that I would say keep a lower threshold for suspicion of mental health stuff while you're working up all the medical stuff too. Okay. That's a really good mm-hmm. exception to keep in mind. Oh, and then maybe also for elderly folks, got to think delirium too. Mm. If someone's coming in and the psychosis is kind of waxing and waning and... Yeah, no, for but. sure. Other things to kind of cue you into this being a medical etiology would be, I think the a really big one is the, the speed of onset. If this person was completely normal yesterday and today is floridly psychotic, I think that you're going to have to put more eggs into the medical basket than into the psychiatric one at that time. Uh, it definitely should heighten your suspicion. Certainly, if there are focal neurologic deficits, if there's some unilateral weakness, if there's uh, aphasia, you're going to have to think about you know, a, a lesion along the neural axis. Abnormal vital signs should always cue you into a medical uh, etiology, and I think namely a fever. A fever, I think, was a huge red flag and 
you're kind of going down now a an LP pathway, if um, if that's the case. And then in my reading of the literature, I don't know what what your experience is of this, but also they say visual hallucinations is more of a medical. That's I always think of you know, again more along the lines of like alcohol withdrawal and you know alcohol hallucinosis as the as the etiology. But I mean, in patients that have you know intrinsic schizophrenia, is it usually auditory or tactile? What 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 have you seen? Yeah, so seen, and I would say yeah, as like representative of of what is being taught these days. Auditory hallucinations are like completely within our realm of psychiatric. We, we claim those. We, we seem to, to believe that anything auditory is kosher for a lot of our pathologies. And anything that is in the visual realm, we get a little suspicious of. As you said, the most common way that it ever comes up for me is, is with substance intoxication. You know, folks can be on all sorts of things, having all sorts of visual experiences. Alcohol withdrawal, as you said, too, is, is something that I would think about primarily. And, and for folks here in you know, the West and in, in the emergency room settings, hallucinations that are tactile or seeing bugs crawling on skin, like all those things to me are like meth, meth, meth until proven otherwise. Right. So yeah, I, I think maybe as a general rule to, to your question, yeah, stuff in the auditory realm maybe would make you lean a little more towards the mental health etiology and stuff outside of that should make you think medical until proven otherwise. I mean, there, there are folks with PTSD and more of a trauma and stressor-related background who I've, I've met, you know, they, they see shadowy figures. There's like things that I think maybe, uh, you know, would, would be visual and mental health related, but that's the, the general idea. It's not a good exception. It seems like. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a decent rule to at least investigate if you, if you have someone who's got visual hallucinations and, and stuff that's well-formed stuff that's like animals. Yeah. It's like okay. alcohol withdrawal. And, yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I think then thinking about those and if you're concerned for a, uh, a medical etiology or you're not sure what is kind of the diagnostic approach that we would take, at least uh, in, in the emergency department. So I think it, it, labs are easy. What's hard is, I guess, the next question of should we do CT of the head or should we do an LP? We're always talking ourselves out of doing LPs when they're indicated. And so I'd like to kind of focus on on that. So, but just briefly, the labs we get, I think usually it's going to be your, your standard, your CBC, BMP, maybe LFTs. And then, because if we're considering the thyroid as part of this, so TSH and free T4, and you're looking for signs of like a marked leukocytosis, you're looking for signs of just, you know, overt metabolic derangements. Are there signs of liver dysfunction, kidney dysfunction? Are you having a thyroid disease that's manifesting this way? Um, so those are going to be, I think, the things that you're looking for with your lab work. The CT head, in my mind, would be indicated if you do have any kind of lateralizing features or if you do have any, any focal neuro deficit. That for sure, I mean, that's a standard approach anyway. Again, if they have this like rapid onset, again, that would make me think that maybe there's some lesion that's now presenting itself. Um, also, 
you know, it, it kind of probably goes without saying if there was a head injury, if there's a seizure, I think that would push you towards CT head. And then aside from just CT imaging of the head, if there was kind of a progressive cognitive decline in this setting, I think the medical etiology that you'd have to evaluate for would be some kind of neurodegenerative disease, in which case I think MRI would probably be your, your test of choice. That, that might be something more on the inpatient side, but just to keep in mind. As far as the decision to do an LP, like I said, you know, we're always talking ourselves out of doing LPs, but for me, if there is a fever in a patient with psychosis, first time ever, you have to do an LP. I think your hands are tied. Also, again, if there's that rapid onset, if there is you know, one of these meningoencephalitides, that, yeah. that I think is part of the initial workup. And then lastly, if there's a change in level of consciousness, if this patient is now lethargic or obtunded or has gone from initial presentation, psychosis, walkie-talkie to now comatose, you, again, I think you're, you're in the, the LP kind of category. Does that all... Kind of gel with what? Oh, that matches. It's, it's good to know that's what's going on when folks are getting medically cleared because I think all of those thoughts are important. If someone was psychotic that, that I was seeing and they were febrile, I would be very concerned. Sure. And some of the folks I see, I would exclude a, a small portion of them, like say if they're on antipsychotics or there's concern for like a serotonin syndrome or neuroleptic malignant syndrome, like I would put those in the differential too of like altered mental status and, and fevery for, for psych patients. But yeah, I think that's good. All of the ways that as I would form my differential for things that would be going on a la DSM, they're, they're not happening overnight. Mm -hmm. They're pretty stereotypical. And I, I think realistically, the other thing too is they wouldn't have such a dramatic progression in their symptoms right. in front of you. Right. Someone's coming in and they're having a psychotic break. They are at the sort of like the, the epitome of, of as bad as they're going to get until they're treated. Sure. Sure. So, that, or they pass out. Yeah. <laughs> so that, 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 that uh, yeah. yeah, again, that, that like r rapidity of onset. The, the changing mm -hmm. course, I mean, is something to, to always just, you know, heighten your clinical suspicion. So I think that that's pretty good. Just a quick review again, recognizing psychosis, thinking about the hallucinations, delusions. We mentioned some disorganized thinking and then the negative symptoms, the A's, the, the flat affect, the alogia, the ambivalence, mm -hmm. all things to think about. Then as far as our differential, keeping in mind that drugs, drugs, drugs are things to think about as far as medical sources. Don't forget about your endocrine sources, thyroid, lupus as, you know, a uh, autoimmune disease that could be doing this, and then brain lesions and infectious sources. Then thinking about just what constitutes the bulk of our tr intrinsic psychiatric disease would be younger age, slow kind of progressive onset, family history. Those things are more in line with psychiatric disease intrinsically. So then kind of the opposite of that would be more medical. Are they over age 40? Keep in mind this maybe caveat around the perimenopausal period. Was this a very rapid onset? Do they have focal neurodeficits? Are they febrile? And then are the hallucinations more 
visual or tactile, then you're kind of concerned more about medical sources. As far as workup, we're doing basic labs, CBC, BMP, LFTs, always get your thyroid, consider the CT if there's trauma, if there are focal deficits, and again, rapid onset. And then you have to do the lumbar puncture if they're febrile, there's changes in levels of consciousness. Again, rapid onset is the thing to never forget. So I think that's a good review kind of of what we've just talked about.